Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. This warm weather, this little reprieve in our winter. Um, I just praise you for the gift of sunshine and um, just thank you so much for everyone who is here today. I pray that you would speak through me this morning and whatever is just me making stuff up, you would let fall to the ground, but that your word and you would be glorified today. Amen. So if this passage sounds a little bit familiar, it is. It's the same one Bam preached on last week, so we expect you all to have it memorized, and there will be a quiz at the end, so hope you're ready. Um, But I actually kind of love it when things like that happen. I feel like one way God gets my attention is by repeating himself a lot. So I'm excited to see kind of what comes up for you today as we talk about this passage. Um, And Bam talked about the name of Jesus, and I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about other names for Jesus that are found in Scripture. Um, And the reason I want to talk about names specifically is because I think looking at names for Jesus can really bring us back to who he is and his work in our lives. We forget easily, right? We meet Jesus, he's wonderful, and then we forget, we get bored, we lose sight of him. But I think looking at the names for Jesus in scripture can remind us of what, uh, what he is and what he's done for us. And then those names can give us the courage to reach outward as well. So I feel like there's been a lot of acknowledgement recently that Christmas is actually kind of a tough time for some people. I mean, it's winter, it's getting cold, we're in the kind of cute part of winter where you can get your hats out and it's all lit up, but we know it's coming January and February and the snow that's kind of like sitting in parking lots until April. Um, But yeah, (laughs) maybe we'll get get a little warmer winter this year, but um, winter can be kind of depressing, and then Christmas can kind of be depressing for people. I know that, um, you know, it's a time of year that's supposed to be all about joy and family and happiness, and so there's all this pressure to feel happy and to feel excited, but the season can kind of bring to mind things that we've lost or people we've lost or things we thought we would have that we don't have right now. There's even... um, Some churches will do what's called a longest night service. So December 21st is technically the longest and darkest night of the year. And it's a service basically dedicated to holding space for grief, dedicated to saying that, like, we know this is supposed to be a happy time of year, but if it's bringing up these feelings of sadness, we can hold space for that. I know that's a super cheerful way to start a sermon about Christmas, right? Like, Merry Christmas. Bet you're feeling sad. Um, But I think it's really important that we begin to acknowledge hopelessness and despair in this season Because we can't talk about hope in a meaningful way unless we acknowledge that there's something we need to have hope in the face of. Um, William Barber II has this uh, sermon on, you can watch it on YouTube, called Prisoners of Hope. It's amazing. And that's kind of his main point is that as Christians, it's so easy for us to preach hope and the happy parts and the celebratory parts. And so often we ignore the sad parts. We ignore despair. We ignore suffering. But our hope isn't worth anything unless we can really talk about suffering, unless we can suffer together and cry together. We need to be a community of people that can share sadness and joy. Um, Some of you might have seen I'm really good at crying in church, and I always have Kleenex, so no problem there. So if you've lost hope in this season, if you're feeling despair or even noticing some despair or hopelessness around you, I think we can look at the names of Jesus set forth in Scripture to remind us of who he is and what he's done in our life. So names are really important, right? They give something meaning. Um, I really love seeing what people name their pets, for example. I think it's kind of a fun insight into someone's, like, personality and their sense of humor or what they find important. Um, When I was a kid, I had a rabbit, of all things. And any other, like, Redwall series here? Anybody? 
Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's a series of books where all the main characters are animals, and they have these fantastic adventures. And there was this really brave rabbit named Penny, so that's what my rabbit was named. Um, and that tells you everything you need to know about me as a kid. But um, so nicknames, too, right? I mean, nicknames can be really fun. They can be markers of belonging, or they can also be really hurtful, and they can be a way for people to make fun of you. Um, a couple years ago, when I got married, I decided to go ahead and change my name. And I was amazed by how emotional it was for me to change my name. Because I was, you know, standing in line at the DMV, and the social security, whatever. And I was basically saying that Christine Nelson didn't exist anymore. Saying she was no longer a person. It's Christine Engel here on out. And it was kind of, it was kind of sad to me to say that, like, oh, okay, this person that I've been my whole life, like, she isn't really. Um, a couple months after the whole name change thing, I was hanging out with a friend who had known me for years, and she just kind of casually said, like, hey, what's up, Nelson? Do I need to switch mics? Okay. <laughs> so she called me Nelson, uh, which is my maiden name. And I was amazed by how much it meant to me. It was such a gift for her to say, like, yeah, you're still the same person. Like, you're still my friend. Nothing's changed. So names in the Bible are super important, right? Um, more than anything else, they communicate who a person is. Jacob wrestled with God and became Israel. Saul was persecuting Christians, hated Christianity. Then he meets Jesus on the road to, Ma to Damascus and becomes Paul. And becomes... Um, one of the authors of a huge chunk of the New Testament and one of the main reasons that Christianity spread as far as it did. Exodus 34 is an interesting passage because God introduces himself by name. Um, Moses encounters him and he comes to him and says, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. John Comer says, this is one of those watershed moments when everything changes. It's one of the few places in the entire Bible where God describes himself, where he essentially says, this is what I'm like. And it's interesting that when God is describing himself to Moses, he's starting with his name. One of the other stories about names from the Bible that I love is actually the story of Hagar. Um, Hagar was a slave to Abraham and Sarah, and when Sarah couldn't have kids, um, Abraham, Hagar went to Abraham and he got her pregnant, and then when she got pregnant, they cast her out. They cast her out into the desert, she's alone, she's starving, she's convinced she's going to die, and God finds her. And he shows her where there's water, and he gives her a promise that her son will be born healthy and that, and that essentially things will be okay. And she gives him a name. She calls him Elroy, the God who sees. I love this story so much because I think it shows God's care and concern for each of us. I mean, she wasn't someone who would have been, um, she, wouldn't, she wasn't someone who they would think was worthy to give God a name, right? But scripture records her story. So if you were to look back at the work of God in your life, what name could you give him? I believe that Christ is who you need him to be. Not necessarily who we want him to be all the time, but who we need him to be. There are dozens of names for Jesus in scripture, and so I think going through some of them can give us a fuller picture of who he is. I wanted to talk about some of them today. First John 2, 1 calls him the advocate. When your guilt leaves you feeling separated from God, Jesus died to bring you closer to the Father. 
1 Timothy 2.5 calls him the mediator. When God seems unapproachable, whether he's too holy or too distant for you to talk to, Jesus is the one who mediates for us with the Father. John 6.35 calls him the bread of life. When you're hungry, Jesus is the one who satisfies. So being a parent means I'm basically thinking about food all the time. I think I even talked about it the last time I preached, so I'm sorry, but I kind of have a theme. That it's just something that is just constantly on my mind, feeding people, feeding myself. And I love that Jesus is the bread of life because I think it's about so much more than just hunger. I think it's about comfort. I think it's about nurturing. I think it shows his care for us. And the Holy Spirit is the Kerrygold butter, but that's Bam's sermon, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 1.10 calls Jesus the deliverer. He is the one who rescues us. Revelation 19.11 calls him faithful and true. If people in your life have failed you recently, no matter how much you love someone and how much they love you, people will let you down. But Jesus never lets us down. He's also called the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the good shepherd. So often we feel lost in the crowd, right? There are so many people in this city. Who am I? Does God even care about me? Scripture calls Jesus the good shepherd who leaves the entire flock to find the one who is lost. He is the redeemer. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what you've done, we worship the one who can redeem you and redeem your past. Hebrews 1.3, he is the upholder of all things. And I'm laughing because this is the one that is so real to me right now. Um, I mentioned that I had two small children, and one of our sweet family traditions is every Christmas we get sick. And so um, <laughs> half my family is home right now with a stomach bug, and I'm tired, and I'm not sick yet, thank God. But it's just, it's been rough, guys. It's been so rough. But it's amazing that this has been so real for me right now. Jesus has upheld me. He has sustained me doing a lot of what I've heard called arrow prayers where you're basically just like, God help, or hey Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that he has responded, he has been there, he has given me peace, he's even given me joy in the midst of the mess, and I just thank him so much for that. He is the surety, according to Hebrews 7.22. Dictionary.com says a surety is security against loss or damage, the payment of a debt. He is the co-signer, the one who guarantees our relationship with God. Isaiah 25.4 calls him a shadow from the heat. So I grew up in what is basically a desert where it gets up to about 100 degrees during the summer and everyone's always like, oh, but it's a dry heat. And I'm like, I don't care, it's hot, it's 100 degrees. Then I moved to Chicago and met my friend Humidity for the first time. And I know everyone from the South is laughing at me like, oh, wow, you have no idea. But you guys, I just, I do not like it. I do not like being sweaty. I do not like walking outside and immediately feeling so hot. But Jesus is central air. <laughs> Jesus is that sweet feeling of relief. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15.45 calls him a quickening spirit. He is the one who brings us to life. When we feel dull or tired or unsure of who we are, he is the one who animates us, who makes us who we truly are. There are dozens of names for Jesus in scripture I could go on, but I'll just name a few more. He is the image of the invisible God. He is a servant. He is a carpenter. He is the light. 
He is a refuge from the storm. He is God's unspeakable gift. He is merciful. He is wonderful counselor. He is a sanctuary. So if you've lost any hope in this season, or if you're noticing hopelessness around you, look to the names of Jesus set forth in scripture to remind you of what he means. And then what can that name give you the courage to do? So as Christians, we carry a name, right? We've claimed an identity of Christ followers. And I talked about hope earlier, and I want to point out that hope isn't just for us as individuals. It's something that we're called to bring to the rest of the world. Jesus references Isaiah when he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. So when we claim the name of Jesus, we claim this identity and we claim a responsibility to represent Jesus to the rest of the world. Um, I do get a little bit of my spiritual content from Instagram and uh, there's this account I follow called Cafeteria Christian and she's talking about... um, During Advent, often people will light candles each week that represent different things. And she said this, the candle of hope leads us into the candle of peace. But remember, hope is not passively wishing things were different. Hope is about naming what is hurtful and what is broken. Peace is not just an absence of conflict or tension, but the presence of change. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it is the presence of justice. So I want you to feel warm and hopeful and loved, but I don't want it to just stop there with us as individuals. And I think that's something that I know for me I need to think about this year. If I want to be a person of hope, if I want to carry the name of Jesus, then I need to consider the ways that I can reflect that name. There are other names for Jesus that I believe encourage us to turn outward. Malachi 4.2, he calls, calls him the son of righteousness. Yeah, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. He will bring the light of justice and the light of healing. Isaiah 25.4 calls him a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately with how I spend my money. I mean, we've all heard things recently about the cost of cheap clothing, the environmental cost and the cost to the people who make it. And I don't want to knock just cheap clothing, right? It's easy. It's easy to sort of point at one thing, um, and cheap clothing can be really useful. I mean, before I had my first full-time job, that's where my professional wardrobe came from. But I think I need to be a little more thoughtful about how I spend my money, frankly. I need to consider the human cost. Anne Helen Peterson says, there's a disconnect between things that we value and our willingness to pay what they actually cost, what those conveniences and that affordability does to the actual humans who provide them. Once I have choices, am I spending my money in a way that shows that I care about the poor? First Peter calls Jesus the just, the one who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's also called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Um, Someone we talk about at this church a lot is Sung Chan Ra. He's a professor at North Park University. And one of his big themes is lament. This idea that as Americans, so often we preach like the happy things, the triumphant things, and we've lost the ability to lament not only our own individual sin, but our corporate sin, our participation in structures that keep people down. Lament is meant to give a voice to the voiceless, a voice to those who have been victims of injustice and oppressed by the powers of the world. And we'll actually know more about God once we give space to those voices. 
Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was part of an oppressed people group. He knows what it's like to suffer injustice. And he reminds us to listen to the marginalized. He reminds us to lift up the voices of those who have been oppressed. And if we make room for the man of sorrows, if we learn to listen to him, we make room for the marginalized. So if Jesus is an advocate, who can I advocate for? If he's a refuge from the storm, who can I share that refuge with? And if he can be the man of sorrows, how can I enter into the sorrows of my friends and neighbors in a way that ushers them towards Jesus? Psalm 89, 15-16 says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. I believe we can acknowledge our despair and the despair of the world around us so that we can preach a real and substantial hope. So December 21st is uh, one of the longest, darkest nights of the year, and it's actually also the feast day of Thomas the Apostle. He's the one who's famous for doubting, the one who heard that Jesus rose from the dead and said, I won't believe it until I see him. And then he saw him and he believed. And I love that in the midst of the Christmas season that's all about hope and anticipation, we make room for doubt. We make room to ask questions. But in the midst of our doubt and our darkness, Christ comes to us. He comes as a baby. He is a light. He is a refuge from the storm. So what name can you give him today? And what name shapes your hope? And if we take that name seriously, what kinds of things can he enable you to do? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for this day. I just pray that you would... um, Bless us as we go forth to celebrate Christmas and that we would be a people who carry your name well. Amen.